All right, well, good morning, Foothills Church. It's so good to see everyone here this morning. My name is Greg Gibson, and I want to welcome everyone who's watching online and want to welcome our Knoxville location as well. So thankful that you are worshiping with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 33. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 33 this morning. A few years ago, my family and I made the mistake of going to the Atlanta Zoo. I don't know if you've been to the Atlanta Zoo before. Some people love it. Some people, it's just survival. But we knew at the time, several years ago, we had young kids then. Uh, We had a good $100 in one hour before meltdowns happened. And so parents of young kids, you know what I'm talking about. You got $100, you got one hour. After that, survival mode, gloves are off. You want popcorn, you got it. You want candy, you got it. Dippin' Dots, $28, okay, you got it. I'm out of money. But if you go to the zoo with toddlers and you got one hour and you have $100, that means you get like three major animals. And so you gotta see the rhinos, right? Who doesn't love a good tank monster? So check. You gotta see the giraffes, in my opinion, super overrated. Uh, But then we save the best for the last, and you got to go see the lions. And so we're almost one hour, $100 into our awesome Atlanta Zoo experience, and we finally get to go see the lions. And we get there, and this lion is perched up on this rock in the middle of its habitat. And, And I kid you not, we're there for 60 seconds And Mufasa turns to us, because every lion's name in the universe is Mufasa, obviously. But Mufasa turns to us and roars. And when Mufasa roared, man, it was like an atomic bomb went off around us. People were running away and then remembering they had kids and coming back and getting their kids. And it may have been one of the loudest things that that I have heard. Uh, But in that moment, as amazing as lions are, with the loudest roar your ears could handle, Mufasa was reminding everyone who the king was. And you wanted to be anywhere but in the presence of that lion. And in our text today, we're going to see that God's presence is a little bit like this presence of this lion at max capacity roar. You know, it's, it's not very popular today, and it's not a huge church growth uh, strategy to show the scary side of, of God, to show the, the frightening side of God. It's, it's not very popular to invite your neighbor to church for a doom and gloom sermon, Right? And it's not a very popular thing to really take a text like Exodus 33 that we have today and, and preach it like we're going to, because today's texts talk about the scary side of God, the frightening side of God. And I'm going to do my best today with four points to, to give you an arc or a narrative of what Exodus 33 is talking about when we talk about the scary side of God and his presence, but then pointing us to a healthy pursuit 
of Jesus. And so from the beginning this morning, I'm going to go ahead and give us our first point. And we're going to read the text as we progress through these points. The first point here is that when we talk about God's glory, we're going to use this interchangeably with his presence. But God's glory is a problem. God's glory is a problem. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, give God glory before. Or, or let's give him praise and glory. Or, or let's see his glory fill the earth, right? Phrases like this. But, but we're going to see today that the text uses glory, this term glory, a little bit differently. And, and the text uses the term glory to talk about his presence. And let's go ahead and begin in verse 1, and we'll get to verse 6. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you, and therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. What we are seeing here is that the actions of the Israelites had major consequences for them and for the generations that would come after them. This jewelry or this ornament that the text says, signifies a tie back to Egypt, where they had just come from, what God had already delivered them out of. And we see in previous chapters that before they had even left Egypt, they're convincing their Egyptian masters to give them gold that they would take with them out of slavery. And in this way, as they have these ornaments on, they are looking backwards right, at what they were once in, in Egypt. They're looking backwards to Egypt for their salvation. They're not fully trusting in God's promises to Abraham and to, to Isaac and to Jacob and then now to, to Moses who is leading them. They were using the gold of Egypt to create a calf, this idol, but the problem here was that the very presence of God was before them still. And we're going to learn that God's presence that we already see in the text can be very scary. It can be very frightening and it can be very all-consuming. And as I mentioned earlier, God's presence theologically here can be defined as this term, glory. And I want to define glory here as, as the unapproachable presence of God. 
the unapproachable presence of God. The Lord is telling Moses that if his glory, his presence was going to go before the people, that his glory, his presence would consume them. And his presence would be deadly. And our question is, is why is this the case? Why is this the case? Doesn't this seem contradictory to God's character? God is love. God is holy. God is just. God is kind. God is merciful. But when it comes to God's presence, he is so perfect that anything that comes into his presence gets consumes. I mean, can you imagine this as a, like an ancient Near Eastern church growth strategy? You know, like Pastor Alex comes out and he's like, welcome to Mount Sinai Baptist Church. We want you to know that you belong here, but you don't belong in God's presence because you will die. You know, let's stand and sing together, right? All joking aside, this text is telling us that we should be very much afraid of the presence of God, that we should see his presence as dangerous, as deadly, and even as a problem. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6, Uzzah reached out to, to steady the Ark of the Covenant. It was, it was just about to fall off the cart, so he was just reaching out to, to steady it so it wouldn't fall, and the text said God struck him dead. In Isaiah 6, we see this amazing picture of these sinless angels flying around the throne of God. There's this picture of God sitting on his throne, and these angels have six wings. With two, they're, they're covering the lower half of their body. With two wings, they're covering the upper half of their body. And with two, they're flying, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But even these sinless angels can't even be in his presence because his presence is so perfect that it would even consume them. And I don't know if you have ever been in a scary situation before. Um, a few months ago, I was in Eastern Europe and I was training church planters and uh, we're going from one city to another city, and we're going through checkpoints. And these are like serious checkpoints, like big guys with big guns kind of checkpoints, you know? And we get to one checkpoint, and I guess for some reason, we all look suspicious. And he has us get out of the car, and we have to give over our passports and kind of all go stand in the corner while this big guy with a big gun guards us or babysat us. But... It was a scary moment, right? This moment where you're like, man, I don't know what is gonna happen right now. And I don't know if you've experienced something like that or you get a phone call that something changes in your life that becomes a scary moment or you're in the presence of something that happens that you weren't planning for and this becomes a scary moment that you won't forget. But friends, I want you to see this, even something like my experience or whatever your experience is when we can define scary moment will pale in comparison to the scary moment of when we stand before a holy and perfect God in his presence one day. And yes, the, 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 as the text says, his presence is a problem, 
But I also want you to see that his presence is not just a problem, but his presence, his glory is a priority. His presence is a priority. And let's look at verses 7 through 11 here. Now Moses used to take the tent and he used to pitch it outside of the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. But whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. But when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and it would stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And and friends, I love, I love this part of, of the passage of Exodus 33. For Moses, God's presence was not a fearful thing. Do you see this? God's God's presence, instead of being a problem for Moses, God's presence was a priority for Moses. It wasn't fearful. It wasn't dangerous. It wasn't scary. In fact, verse 11 says that God would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. This is not a scary, frightening, dangerous relationship between God and Moses. The glory of God was a priority But I want you to see that the glory of God for Moses here was not something that Moses strategized for. I want you to to see this. He didn't didn't plan for this. It wasn't like, hey, let's set up a strategy meeting and and get God's glory back into the tent or or let's have some kind of creative, creative meeting. It was something that Moses intensely sought out. He he is seeking God radically. He's seeking God spontaneously. Moses is showing extraordinary methods for pursuing God, for for seeking God. Like so much so that he was determined, the text says, to make his own tent, the tent of meeting, this tabernacle of meeting, meaning outside the camp kind of separation. So outside of the camp, In the text here, we see this separation. Outside of the sinfulness of Israel, outside of the people, outside of the mess, outside of the idolatry, outside of their desire to return back to Egypt, outside of those things, God would meet with Moses. And he would meet with Moses, as the text says, face to face, as a man speaks to his his friends. And and there have been few times in my life, I don't know about you, but there's been a few times in my life where I've kind of been in moments of desperation. And uh, I don't know if you've had situations like this, but you, you know what I'm talking about. And when my wife and I were only dating, we went 
hiking and camping uh, with her Marine Corps brothers and in the mountains of, of eastern Kentucky. It was like a short hike in, you know, set up camp, cook your own dinner, wake up, break down camp, short hike out, kind of like one day trip, or it was supposed to be that way. So we hike in, we set up camp, we cook our food, we go to sleep, we wake up the next morning, we pack up our camp, but for some reason, and I don't know why, we decide to leave our camp, leave our bags, leave our waters, and go hike a little bit more down the trail before we hike back down to our cars and drive home. So we start hiking, but then the trail begins to, to fork and split and split again and split off again. And, and panic mode begins to set in because before we knew it, we were lost. I mean like lost, lost, right? Like we're, we're lost all day kind of lost. Panic mode is starting to, to set in kind of lost. We've been lost for 15 hours at this point, kind of lost. The sun is starting to set on us, kind of lost. And we just so happen to come across these rock climbers in the middle of nowhere, and they have a topographical map. And they point us back to the road, right? And we're, we're I mean, we're just kind of hiking through brush at this point. But we get back to the road, and there's a parking lot, and we go to, this is a little embarrassing, but we, we go to the garbage cans and we're, we're so desperate for water, we're digging through garbage cans to find used old trash water, right? And that was the first time I got cholera. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but if you've ever been in a situation like this, where you're desperate for something, whether it's food or, or water, or in Moses' case here, for God's presence. The desperation that Moses showed for the presence of God was a priority. And my friends, my question for you is, is the presence of God a priority in your life? Is it something that you are desperate for because as we keep reading, we learn that God's glory, his presence, is, is not just a priority. It's not just a priority, but we're going to see that it is also a privilege. We're gonna see, we, we see in the text that it, that it is a, a serious problem. But we also see that it's, it's a priority for Moses because Moses found favor in God's sight. They had a relationship as a friend would talk with another friend face to face. But we also see in the text now that God's glory is a privilege for us. And let's keep reading in verses 12 through 23. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known 
that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct and I, your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? But then the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory, what's this? His presence passes by. I will put you in the cleft of this rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by it. Then I will take my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be Scene. We see here that Moses, friends, is, is begging for God's presence. He's begging for God's glory. He even says so much, Lord, show me your glory. Not the consume us presence, but the face to face as a man speaks with his friend kind of presence. And I'm talking about the intimate, early morning, Bible open, strong cup of coffee that you might have to chew kind of presence. I'm talking about the driving down the road, worship music on full blast, having personal revival in your car kind of presence. I'm talking about being out in God's creation and being speechless by the beauty of his craftsmanship kind of presence. I'm talking about being with a good friend who encourages you with a word of scripture and you can sense, feel the presence of the Holy Spirit kind of presence. After all, friends, it is the presence of God in us that separates us as distinctive from every other people in the world. It is the Holy Spirit that dwells in me and that dwells in you. The truth that this Holy Spirit dwells in each Christian who confesses Jesus as Lord. And in the Old Testament, it is this presence of God that makes Israel distinct from every other nation on the earth. And we see here that God grants Moses what he is asking him, but with a slight bent to it this time. The slight bent. He says, I'm gonna pass before you in not a consuming way, but this time it won't be face to face as a man speaks with a friend. This time I'm gonna pass, I'm gonna put you and the people in the cleft of a rock, I'm gonna put my hand over you, I'm gonna pass over you, my presence will go before you, it won't consume you, but you will only see my back. Okay, let's take accelerator and go like second gear to fifth gear here. You're like, I thought we were in fifth gear. All right. So it's amazing 
want you to, to, to lean into this. It's amazing that Israel as a nation, as a people, again, find favor before God because of one man. One man, Moses, has found favor before God. Are, are you seeing what is happening here? One man's faithfulness. One man's faithfulness. God, because of that, God will not consume his people with his presence. And, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read a text like this, I feel like I have gospel-centered imposter syndrome. Trademark pending. Like, I, I understand what God is doing here. But also, who am I? Who am I? That God would, would do anything through me a sinner? Who, who am I that, that anything good, anything redemptive, anything of substance would come into the world through the works of, of my hands? Who, who am I that, that, that God would, would bear fruit in the lives of others through my ministry or, or my teaching or my leadership? Why would I find favor with this, this God? Like Moses found favor with this, this God. And after all, my heart is wicked. My heart is sinful. Like, like so wicked. If you swan dove, no splash into the depths of my heart, you would be like, dang, Pastor Greg is straight messed up. Like so wicked that I don't know about you, but I fight this personally, weekly, sometimes daily, because in myself, in myself, just me, nothing else to bring. And just like you, I forget sometimes that I actually have no favor with God. I have no favor. I am an imposter. I am just like Israel. If you take me and put me in front of God's presence, I get consumed. If, if we take you, and we put you in front of God's presence. You get consumed. Me, you, us, we are just like the nation of Israel. If you stand before the presence of God, the glory of God, we will all get consumed. Death will be our only friend in that moment, which is why I call it gospel-centered imposter syndrome because in my flesh without God's favor I am only an imposter at best and so are you but we have a fourth point today and it's possibly the, the the best hope that I can give you this morning and it's it's this reality that God's glory is is also a person it's also a person and I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 1 to illustrate this. The author says long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, i.e. Moses. So we're reading in Exodus 33. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by who? His son, Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And see verse three, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Friends, did you miss it? Did you miss it? Verse three, he, Jesus, is the radiance of what? He's the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of who God is. The writer of Hebrews is telling us there's only one way that you and I do not get consumed by the presence of God one day. And it is a person named Jesus. Listen, friends, the lion is not safe. Like Mufasa will tear you to threads, right? He will destroy you. And in the same way, in the same way, God is not safe. His presence is so good, so holy, so perfect that it will devour us, not because his character is faulty or wrong or bad or evil, but in spite of those things, he is so perfect that anything that is not his standard of perfect will just cease to exist in his presence. But in Christ, in Christ, church, in Christ alone, we can freely stand in the presence of God. Just like Moses was called a friend, someone who found favor in God's sight, we can be called a friend. We can be face to face. We can be in his presence only though, only because of the work of Jesus alone. And I want you to see this today. There is absolutely nothing that you can do. There is nothing that you can create. There are no amount of good days that you can have. There is no amount of resources that you can cultivate. And there is no amount of enemies that you can conquer that will earn you a place in God's presence. Your presence has already been earned, stamped, locked, key thrown away and it has been earned only through the life the death and the resurrection of the person Jesus and when the Bible says that when you put your faith in Christ's work and turn from sin you will be saved you'll be able to enter into this presence this is Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and now but I want you to see here that that salvation is not just a checkbox it's not a checkbox. There's, so, there's something so much greater happening here. The Bible calls this righteousness. It's a, it's a word that means the perfection of Jesus. And, and, I, and I want you to see how amazing this is because, friends, when you are saved by God, the perfection of Christ gets applied to you. Do you know about this? This truth that Christ's perfection is implied to you. Theologians in the room, this is what is called imputed righteousness. Your sin is placed on Christ and his righteousness then gets imprinted, imprinted into you. This is how we enter into the presence of God without being consumed. It is only the righteousness of Jesus applied to us. Therefore, when we are in the presence of God one day, he will not consume us with his glory, his unapproachable presence. But when we are in the presence of God one day, the Bible says that he 
if we have trusted in Christ and received Christ and turned from sin, and Jesus' righteousness is now applied to us, that the Bible says in places like Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Romans 8, that God now sees us. This is the greatest news in the history of the universe, that God now sees us in the same way that he sees his son Jesus, son, daughter, perfect. And even terms like co-heir is now said about us. We will have the same things said about Jesus that are said now about us. And I want you to see that all of this is happening. All this is happening for for Israel in Exodus 33. And all of this is happening for, for me and you thousands of years later because of one word. And it's this word grace. Grace. And and if I can encourage you in any way as a follower of Jesus who would become an expert in this word grace, I want to be, I want to know this word from every angle. I I want to know everything there is about it because it does not make sense that God would give us grace. And this term grace will define it as undeserved favor. And, and I want you to see there's a difference between mercy and grace. You guys know the difference? Mercy is, is simply not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So for example, hypothetically, if my son Ivor gets in trouble at school for let's say cheating on a test. I don't know. He goes to the principal's office. He's found guilty. He got caught. He should get a what? A consequence. But he doesn't. This is mercy. This is mercy. Instead, weirdly, we throw him a pizza party. That is grace undeserved favor, getting what you do not deserve. But I want you to see that it's not a subjective decision here to throw my son Ivor a pizza party for getting caught cheating. There is something happening before the pizza party even starts that that changes everything for Ivor. Here's what happens. Another student who is perfect who never cheated, comes to the principal and this student says, I will take Ivor's punishment instead of him. And you can apply my perfect ledger to him, my perfection to him. And you can mark me guilty in his place. And I will take the consequences for him so that he will be free. He will be found not guilty. That is grace. The fact that one day, those of us who are, who are believers in Christ, who are believers in Jesus, those of us who have turned from sin, will not be consumed by God's presence. Church, that is mercy. You see it? That's mercy. But we will receive what we do not deserve, which is eternity with Jesus. That, friends, is grace. That is grace. And let's be reminded this morning 
as we close of these, these two differences in God's glory and God's grace. God's glory is his unapproachable presence. We see in Exodus 33. We cannot go into it lest we be consumed. But God's grace is his approachable presence now because of someone else's work on our behalf and his perfection applied to us and the penalty that we should have received, the payment for our sins placed on him and the wrath of the father on sin, not on us anymore, but on Christ. That is grace, his approachable presence in Christ. And so listen to me, regardless of your life right now, regardless of what's going on, regardless of the trials, regardless of the, the hard conversation you got to have with somebody this week, regardless of the, the parenting issues, regardless of, of marriages that might be on the rocks, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of circumstances, regardless of overspending and credit card debt or whatever it might be, regardless of any of those things. Hear me, hear me this morning. You are not identified by those anymore. You, you have no identity in those things. You are not defined by those things any longer if you have trusted in the one who can take you into the presence of God. Now you are defined in the same way the Father defines you. Isn't that amazing? As son, as daughter, as adopted, as righteous, as perfect, as co-heir. You are defined in Christ by grace. It's the greatest news in the history of the universe, this undeserved favor accomplished by its king. Amen. Can I pray for you this morning? Father, we pause and we are so thankful for your grace. We don't deserve it, but you give it freely. We can't earn it but you still give it away. It's never ending. It's, it's a well, the Psalms say, that will not run dry. It's the, the, the unending deepest of oceans that our minds can't even fathom. Father, I pray for us today that we would be swallowed up in this grace, that grace would motivate us, that grace would guide us, that grace would, would be what remains when every single day is done, that grace would be what remains at the end of our lives and that you would look at us, not because of what we conquered or, or what we purchased or what we accomplished, but you would look at us because of the work of your son, Jesus. Father, we are so thankful for your perfect presence and we are thankful that you made a way for us to enter into it forever. We give you all the glory and praise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.